I'm Rob. I'm John. And this is the Mint One Podcast. Where we talk all things NFTs and the rise of blockchain gaming. So John, a lot of us have some unpopular opinions about crypto. What are yours? Oh, I have plenty of them, Rob. And I'm sure you do too. Let's get into them. Right. Another episode. I don't know. What episode are we on now? 20... 22. 22. 22 weeks of the Mint One podcast. Feels good, I think. You think? I think. I think it feels good. <laughs> like I'm, I'm definitely I'm far more relaxed into it now. Like if I compare how I was... I think we did this a few episodes ago, didn't we? Because I was thinking about... I've thought about it a lot. About how that first episode, I had just pages and pages of notes. I had like a glass of water. I was in a dead silent room. All the windows closed. Lights off. Like sitting dead upright, rigid. And I was just working through my points my talking points like a politician um and now it feels um <laughs> either like i don't care or i've really relaxed into it and i hope it's the latter yeah i think it's very much we come up with a podcast we set a time we turn up and we talk for an hour <laughs> and and there we go which but, sounds podcasty yeah i think it sounds a lot more natural than it did sounds a lot less forced like we've been held at gunpoint to record a podcast so um I mean, hope, yeah. hopefully it's better to listen to for the uh, for those of you tuning in. So, uh, yeah, hope hope so. If not, let us know, and we'll go back to formulaic politicians. Um, I, I'm not against it. I, I mean, I still do research. To be fair, I, I'm yep. looking at over an A4 page of uh, bits and pieces for this episode. So, uh, hopefully, it's still informative. Yeah, fingers crossed it is, and it should be a, a juicy episode for sure, as uh, yes. both you and I run through uh, some unpopular opinions in the NFT space, both our own and uh, and some that we've sourced from the community. Mm, yeah, there's. I mean, Twitter's always a hotbed for unpopular opinions. It, it really is a platform of unpopular opinions most of the time, so it it's not too difficult to track them down. But I find, I was looking for different unpopular opinions that have been posted and there aren't many different ones they're all variations on a theme they're all kind of the same thing mm. so uh it would be interesting to discuss those before we get into it though we should do a, a bit of preamble on blockchain brawlers after yesterday's uh bombshell was dropped yeah absolutely so uh yesterday or uh, two days later if you're listening to this when it releases um, it was announced that Richard Garfield, the creator of Magic the Gathering, is now in partnership with Wax Studios to develop a PvP mode for blockchain brawlers, and that came concurrently with the announcement that they're burning 99.9% of the brawl token pool. <laughs> yeah, that I, I still feel like I can't make sense of it. Like I, I, I don't have the the requisite intelligence to pick apart what that really entails because that just seems mad to me that i don't i don't understand whether that's an indication that they perhaps made the pool too big originally or that it was going to take too long to access it all or i, I mean i i don't i don't know but the price hasn't really followed what i thought would happen i thought it would start shooting up no, the the price has dipped by maybe sort of 0.1 wax per brawl since the announcement was made. I mean, in real terms, mm. brawl token started out uh, with a max supply of one trillion tokens, uh, and that by the end of this week, when they burn uh, burn the majority of those, will go down to one billion. Um, yeah. So you think, hey, there's um, 
you know, they've knocked three zeros off, so the price should go up um, likewise, but but it hasn't. Um, nope. I think part of the reason for that is um, this only changes the max supply, and if we look at the numbers currently, I think it's only about 10% of the uh, the max supply of broad tokens um, is in circulation, so it's going to take some time um, for right, us to yeah. hit uh, that target. And I suppose that will depend completely on how, how many people play the game, um, whether they're their plans to get new players into the game are successful. Um, so, I mean, at this point in time, I imagine it will take six to seven months before we start getting close to that max supply. But, uh, but who knows? It's um, it's injected some uh, some mystery, some mystique, some intrigue into blockchain brawlers, and bringing Richard Garfield on. Who, yeah, I mean, it's not not just Magic the Gathering. He's had a thirty, I think thirty thirty five year career of. Um, of you know working on on card games tabletop games video games and um he'll be able to bring all of that experience to uh, to the web 3 space yeah there's just no downside to um getting richard garfield he's the fact that he invented magic the gathering which then invented an entire genre that has it, it spanned the physical world and then moved into digital and we started seeing digital tcgs have been incredibly popular for well over a decade at this point um and the fact that he is managing the pvp side of blockchain brawlers which as it's going to be presumably strategy based rather than you know it's not uh, the traditional wrestling game and it never will be so they needed somebody who could do the pvp in that way and i, I i'd be shocked if you could find two one or two people who are better qualified for that than richard garfield on the planet i mean he, he's he invented the seminal pvp strategy game really mm-hmm. well i said in my in my article here that uh, of course richard garfield's sort of specialty is uh, is card games uh, but card games and wrestling um i don't believe have ever mixed i mean you've had those slam attacks which were for those of you who are not from the UK, were kind of the the wrestling version of match attacks, which were basically football trading cards. Um, that's the only time I can recall that wrestling and trading cards have ever combined. And that was about, I mean, I remember collecting those about 15 years ago. Um, but it's never been, it's been more the collecting experience rather than like a game. So it'd be very intriguing to see how... Um, Garfield and the Wax Studios team are able to combine these two sort of polarizing genres together. I'm I'm intrigued to find out. Yeah, I think it it could be really good, but I I, I almost don't want to speculate because it would be it, it could be so many things. They could take it so many directions. Um, if they do take it the TCG route, I think it'd be very interesting. But um, yeah, remains to be seen. But yeah, what a what a steal from Wax. Uh, studios to to get Richard Garfield so that that really was the the piece of information that released yesterday that I was most excited about and then obviously I expected Brawl to skyrocket and it didn't so now I'm just left confused (laughs) well who knows I mean look they've always said Michael's always said that they've got um, they've got long plans big plans for for Mike Studios and for blockchain brawlers so uh, so I guess time will tell it will and with that let's get into the uh the nitty gritty of the podcast, which is uh, unpopular opinions in the space. So, uh, yeah, for those of you that follow me uh, on Twitter, that's uh, at Hydropowered H Y D R O P W R D. I always feel like I need to spell it since uh, it doesn't have the extra e, is it? Yeah, most people when they see my my sort of let's call it a gamer tag, 
they can't pronounce it. <laughs> so I always feel like I need a I need to spell it out. But anyway, um, for those of you who do follow me, um, every day I usually tweet some form of um, or sort of some words of wisdom or some advice, whether it's towards collectors or creators. Uh, and some of that has been uh, some of these hot takes, these unpopular opinions. Uh, and so to to kick off, I'll uh, I'll start with one of mine that I I posted a couple of weeks ago, which is that community led development isn't in the best interest of ninety nine percent of NFT projects. Now, NFTs are always lauded as this decentralized space where you know the the community is in control, where the players have a real voice and can drive games in their direction. Uh, but as we mentioned last week on the podcast, uh, World of Warcraft did that, and yeah. the quality of their output started decreasing, um, and then they started doing their own thing, and then they went back to doing what the community wanted, and they've kind of always fluctuated between the two. Uh, I kind of made a point in my tweet that um, as a creator, you should have a strong long-term vision for your project, and that if you keep being sidetracked by what your community wants each week, then that vision gets further and further away. And uh, we've just been talking about blockchain brawlers. Um, they kind of came out of the blue yesterday with this, you know, the slashing their the brawl token pool, and they're kind of referring to this stage of the game now as the the mining phase. You know, the the phase where you've got to get as many gold entities, as many brawl tokens as you can. And that's not really something that was that was ever kind of let on to the community, or they didn't they didn't really tell tell anybody about it. And the, they're pushing forward with their own vision. Um, and I think games need to do that. Projects do need to do that. I don't think that means you need to completely disregard your community, but I think if you're going to start an NFT project, you should have a good plan of, you know, what you're going to be doing for the next 12 months, two years, however long. Um, that doesn't mean I think, you know, I've said before about roadmaps and kind of how, how much they can fluctuate and how you can't always trust them. But I think as a creator, you need to know where your project's going. Yeah, I think... I think it's better for the for almost every project to have a a strong and competent leader and I think part of being a strong and competent leader is listening to um you know your players you know the people you're governing over and I just I can't imagine a game that is entirely community run that would be a constant success I think it would just become too diluted where it just loses direction where people, you know, decide they want one thing and then it, it becomes the, the popular opinion to have that and then they vote it in. And I think you'll always kind of just be flailing around in the same pool. You won't really go anywhere with, with the project. And that's why you, you need a leader. And the reason I've, I said this in my article about uh, Blockchain Brawlers News yesterday, the, one of the reasons I think Blockchain Brawlers will be a success long term is Michael Rivinelli. Uh, mm-hmm. He's heading up the project. He's got a lot of experience. He helped um, launch the the free-to-play movement in gaming, which was extremely bizarre before it occurred, and then it made perfect sense once it had. Um, so I think he, he's well-suited for this industry, and he's well-suited to take that game forward. I do want him to listen to the community, and he does. I mean, John and I, we're both ambassadors for Blockchain Brawlers and he they, they've started doing ambassador meetings where we give our feedback and thoughts on the game and, and they really do listen and, and take notes on these things. And they listen to the community on you know Twitter and in the Discord and they do adjust their opinions based on the information they get from their players. 
which is exactly what you need to be. But I do think there still needs to be a leader that's, that would occasionally say, I think the community are wrong here. We need to move in this direction or even without any feedback at all, say this is where we want to be. Let's head towards that. Because uh, as we said, it might have been the last episode or a couple of episodes ago, uh, the, the people that are in control of these projects at least should have a bigger picture of of what's happening with that game, where it's going, uh, you know, the parts that build up that game and the financial requirements for various things. They should be able to see the whole scene rather than just a, a slither of it like we do in when we're playing the game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to have an example. So please send me an example. If you've got one where a game is almost entirely run by the community, like a DAO run game, perhaps, um, that's successful. I'd, I'd love to see that and I'd love to see how it works, but I just can't, I can't imagine it. I can't think of any example outside of crypto where that's worked. Can you? Not off the top of my head, no. I mean, you'll often get um, games that start. I mean, we've seen this in the crypto community a bit, you know, where, where projects start and the creators, let's say they rug or they disappear and somebody else takes over or, or games where, you know, the developers create this game and then cease support and then, you know, several members of the community band together to create, you know, unofficial clients and ways of playing the game and all this kind of thing. Yeah. In those situations, you could argue that, you know, these games are being being ran by the community, but really they're just maintaining or building on top of what's already been started by somebody else. Um, so, no, I, I currently think of um, a prominent example. If I'm uh, Like Rob said, if you can think of one, then... Uh, then do let us know. Uh, I think that takes you to uh, to you, Rob. Have you got any unpopular opinions you'd like to share with us? Um, I have many unpopular <laughs> opinions, but we'll we'll try and keep it um, related to crypto. Uh, what <laughs> shall I? I've got a whole list I'm looking at. What shall I start with? Um, okay, this is this is a bit wider. It's a bit meta. Um, see what you think. Blockchain technology is m- more important than cryptocurrencies. Most people don't care about the technology, uh, just about the generation of wealth, and that's wrong. The the blockchain technology is the real product, and and that's what's gonna. If anything's going to change the world and revolutionise modern society, it's blockchain technology, not the cryptocurrencies built on it. Mm, that's a good. There's a strong opinion. It's a very um, um kind of controversial one. Let's say, uh, I do think a lot of uh, there's obviously a lot of people in NFTs and crypto at the moment that are profiting wildly off of nfts and crypto and those are probably the people that disagree with you um but we've said before (laughs) we've said before on the podcast that you know a lot of these a lot of these games a lot of these companies a lot of the you know the people creating cryptocurrencies focus a lot more on on the benefits of of their particular coin and the earning potential and mm. you know all this kind of marketing hype rather than the technology behind it that's partly because the technology is not terribly easy to explain yeah. and partly because if if you weigh up a uh, you know a technical discussion as your usp versus you can earn a bag load of money one of them is obviously very much more um, appealing to to the average the average uh, crypto interested person crypto interested person what a phrase <laughs> um but, but it is true and um but yeah nft technology is progressing at an incredibly rapid pace and as more and more people come into the space um not just you know the uh sort of the c-suite big names moving into web3 
Um, but you know, people down at the uh, at the metal, as I say, you know, the developers, the back end guys, the front end guys, the guys developing smart contracts, etc. As more and more of uh, those guys and developers enter the space, I think the uh, the use cases and the ways in that blockchain technology can be used are going to skyrocket in the next few years. So I've written for you and um, a number of other outlets on blockchain technology and its utility in just so many industries. It feels as if it's going to touch every industry. There's a few that have some use cases. Logistics is one. Uh, logistics is, this might offend some people, but we're doing unpopular opinions, so let's go for it. Uh, logistics is one of the most boring industries to read about in the history of working. Because I, when I was writing an article about how it could revolutionize logistics, I was looking at, um, there were some companies that were, that ship food that tried uh, using blockchain to, record the so each item had um it's even boring trying to explain what i'm trying to explain (laughs) but basically it made everything much easier to track and uh they lost far fewer items and everything was just smoother but then for some reason they didn't continue it after the trial so Mm. i mean who knows but it does seem uh, well positioned to revolutionize a number of different industries but yeah like you said it's difficult to explain what blockchain technology is it's difficult to understand it but i think it's far more likely that that's going to touch areas than cryptocurrencies per se although i think that's not to say cryptocurrencies are unimportant or that they won't play a role going forward i think they will and obviously i'm interested in them but blockchain technology is where it gets interesting you know nfts with utility is where it gets interesting for me and I think that the loudest people, I mean, we talked about this um, in our tribalism episode, but the loudest people for each chain, as far as I can tell, are just people that want to see their FTX portfolio turn a bit green. Yeah. That, that's all they really care about. They, they, they don't, it's not like they're like, this technology is unbelievable. We can change the world with this technology. Even if they're saying that, I, I, I'm really skeptical. I, I think they're just, they, they know that if, enough hype is generated around their particular coin, their particular chain, then their portfolio goes up. So it's difficult because I'm, you know, if you do believe, uh, I always try and look at it from as many sides as possible. And if you, if you were genuine about the technology and you did genuinely believe in it and you invested in it because you believed in it, and then you were singing its praises, would it look any different to someone who just wanted money? probably not so it Mm. it is difficult to tell but it does seem like most of crypto is just about the generation of wealth in any way possible rather than what it can do for various industries for people for the world for developing nations uh, and such so um yeah i think that's a controversial opinion uh you know perhaps i get roasted for it i I do (laughs) hope i get roasted for at least one of these opinions or they're not unpopular enough Mm -hmm. because a lot have you seen these there's so many like youtube videos of unpopular opinions and things and they're just facts <laughs> they're, not, <laughs> they're not remotely remotely unpopular so i do want to annoy some people with with these and the next one i'm going to share after your next one uh, i think will annoy some people maybe even you so uh, you're up interesting um so i wanted to to raise this one mostly because it was a project a game project quite a prominent one who who said it publicly on twitter in response to somebody who you basically asked the question we're asking. It was an influencer in the space asked um, if there are any, what what the, are your unpopular opinions in the space? And I'm unsure who controls this account, but um, somebody who controls the uh, the official Gods Unchained Twitter account. 
<laughs> I saw this. <laughs> responded um, saying um, that their unpopular opinion was that many NFT profile picture projects will be irrelevant in the near future. Now, this, mm. is, this is an interesting one to to dissect. Um, Board Ape Yacht Club is... It's massive. You know, Board Ape Yacht Club and CryptoPunks are the two largest um, largest entities in NFTs. And both were born really out of, you know, hey, look at our cool arts. You can earn one of these 10,000 pieces. Here's a few perks you'll get. Have at it. And from that, they have exploded into popular culture. And, you know, it's not uncommon now to hear of celebrities that own these NFTs, of, you know, prominent uh, people in business or in finance that own these. And it, it has become this, and I don't really want to steal a phrase from Gary V, but it, he often speaks of NFTs sort of enhancing this social currency we have with one another, where, you know, the the items and the things we own digitally will have this this social purpose. And I think that yeah. PFP projects uh, especially uh, eschew that absolutely. You know, it's it's become a cool thing to own a board ape or a, or a punk or an invisible friend or any of these projects. And in a ways, they are they are hype driven projects. That doesn't mean they don't have value, but they are very much held aloft. And I mean, we are. I mean, we're about two months away from uh, from board ape fest taking place in <laughs> in New York City. Um, so it's there's clearly a community there. There's an interest community. I, I what I want to, and, and I guess we'll we'll find this out in a couple of months' time. Is this board ape fest? This like crowning event for all board ape owners. They have so many celebrity fans and celebrities holding these tokens. How many of them are going to attend? I'd be surprised if mm. one does. I think it's just going to be a load of crypto bros who are trying to flex. Um, if, if they don't, then I think it loses a lot of its value. Exactly. Because, you know, yeah. people want to be in this exclusive club with these A-listers. That's that's part of the draw. So if they don't ever attend these events or don't, you know, do much in the space, mm, I don't know. If, I, think, I think it detracts from the value. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bored Apes wasn't meant to be a PFP project originally, was it? I am not entirely certain, if I'm honest with you. I, I, so I was under the impression that um, things like Bored Apes, CryptoPunks, you know, the surrounding projects that have become really famous, that PFPs were kind of a byproduct of the success of these, that people just wanted to show them off. And that it just kind of spawned out of it. it, it nobody really originally marketed these things as something you could have as your profile picture. I feel like it just kind of cottoned on. I mean, yeah. I haven't really engaged with the profile picture thing. Um, I get why people like it, but I personally haven't really got into it. I know you're more interested than I am. Mm. So perhaps my opinions on it would be uh, more unpopular <laughs> than yours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I own a few profile picture NFTs. A lot of them are on wax. So obviously you can't do the, uh, the popular thing on Twitter at the moment and verify your profile picture NFTs, which... Yeah they've kind of shot themselves in the foot since you can just mint your own ETH NFT and then set it as a profile picture and you get a nice hexagonal border, but that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other argument there. But when people think of NFTs, and this is the wider public, currently 
they're most likely thinking of bored apes and punks and the most visible place that you'll get to interact with these is in places like Twitter profile pictures. So, as I said, they do have this incredible social value, but is that social value something that will last long-term? It's difficult to say. Um, there's... I mean, most things don't. Do yeah, like, yeah. In terms of social value, it seems to ebb and flow. Yeah, I think projects like CryptoPunks, especially because their lord has been the first, like they're the original. I think they're, they'll... Yeah. They're more likely to always have a place in, um, well, they have a place in blockchain history. Um, Bored apes, I don't want to say that they're like the the collection of the moment or it's like short-term hype, but they're the first profile picture project that I would say really took off and made NFTs a part of mainstream culture. Yeah. So I think they've established their place as well. Projects beyond that, I think, I think, whoever follows them and, and becomes the next big project is going to have to do something really special to hold on to its long-term value. I mean, even projects like Invisible Friends, which, you know, I've already referenced in this podcast, have seen incredible popularity. The art is fantastic, but have they done enough to to ensure their kind of long-term value, their long-term, uh, you know, long, long-term assets or value to their holders? I'm unsure. Um, but just going back to the to, to this comment on um, NFT profile pictures by the the person behind the Golden Chain Twitter account, uh, one of the comments made me laugh. Uh, on that, somebody responded with, uh, "A lot of the games uh, will be irrelevant in the near future as well." <laughs> 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 well to show, I, I, yeah, I mean that's a whole other that's a that's a whole other unpopular opinion. Um, although I've seen that one eschewed. Um, quite a bit in the community in recent weeks, and maybe it's not as unpopular as um, as it might appear at first glance. Um, I, I do personally think the space is is rather bloated with very similar NFT games at the moment, um, and they can't all be winners. And a, a lot of them are, as I said, they're hype, they're short term value generators rather than being something that's um, that would be a safe bet on long term. But uh, you know, as as I said in the past. And as we said on this podcast, uh, the more competent devs and people like Richard Garfield enter the space, then uh, the more, uh, the better chance I think that we're going to have some uh, some quality projects that provide long term value. Yeah, I. So I think you are at least in part referring to was it Anders? Um, any observations? Comment on one of the Twitter threads, and he said the majority of NFT games suck and have no future. Was, yes. that, was that him? <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I, this feels very much like my area, given that that's all I look at is NFT games, blockchain games. The The word majority I'm uncomfortable with, but mm. I think it's probably accurate. Yeah, I think like, he's as, right. There are so many, there are so many non-games for one. Yeah. Um, I've spoken about how much I hate, hate the word game fire. Um, yeah. like those two things should be playing together. Mm. There's just no business of gaming and hardcore finance. I mean, DeFi has a very obvious purpose. Yes. GameFi doesn't have an obvious purpose. No. It's not a game and it's not finance. It's a way of making magical money and it works at the moment, but it won't work forever. And I do think there's way, way, way too many projects that are trying to, you know, just tap into play to earn and there's 
it just feels like the opportunity for anyone who's ever wanted to make a game and be an indie dev to do it and get ridiculous amounts of money off the back of it and get funding from major companies, which again, I've got nothing against that, but I do think, I mean, Dave and I, in 2018, Dave and I said on our about page for Token Gamer, when we first wrote the website and we made the about page, we said, we're only going to cover quality projects um, or projects with real scope for the future, even if they're, you know, perhaps lacking at the moment. If it's got a long-term vision of being something excellent, then we'll cover it. We're not covering dreadful games that aren't even really games. Yeah. And I feel like we, for the most part, we do keep up. there. So I've added some exceptions to that over the years. There are occasionally games that are excellent use cases. So... Um, I can't think of a great example off the top of my head, but I wouldn't really play many of the clicker games that are play to earn and you just, you know, mine money and and that's it. I don't tend to play those things. Uh, You could say Blockchain Brawlers is basically that at the moment, but the reason I'm playing that is for the long term. Um, It's because I like where where it's going, not because I like what it is right now because Mm -hmm. there isn't much there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a great deal of the clicker games are absolutely relevant and I don't care and I won't write about them but there are a handful which I have written about because I think they act as excellent use cases for gaming economies in mm. in future games play to earn economies in future proper games that are fleshed out games that you actually play yeah. um so if I use that as the metric I guess you have to agree with Anders and say that the majority of blockchain games at the moment do suck (laughs) it feels quite harsh but i mean this is unpopular opinions and have no future yeah more or less and unless they are pushed to create more of a game surrounding the the basics that 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 they've installed then they're a little bit like the nfts that are just making money off of hype the ones that have no utility Mm -hmm. it's it's the same with these games they're a lot of them a lot of the clickers are making a lot of money for people because they made a lot of money for people, which sounds counterintuitive and circular, but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, they got enough initial hype that people started making money. As soon as some people start making money, lots of people were interested. Absolutely. And it's just sort of, it's like perpetual motion at that point, but it will tail off. And, and then I think we'll be left with the games that either a built an excellent economy and perhaps some law and functionality around it and an ecosystem. And they're doing something with it. Um, or a good game that is using blockchain technology as well. And Mm -hmm. there are a handful of them um, right now. We obviously talk about Skyweaver. I've played a few games of the Forge Arena, which you and I were speaking about recently. Mm -hmm. And um, I I, I was thoroughly impressed with that. That feels like a, a game. It feels like a genuine game that I would play. So that immediately puts it above most. But then when I look at a lot of blockchain games... I, I don't know will they do they have a future probably not but then most indie games don't have a future so uh, perhaps it's not a fair comparison I'm not sure yeah, yeah a lot of indie games don't have a future but at least they're games like you have fun playing them yeah a lot of um, what are called games in the play to earn space are clickers you know the, some of them are I would consider to be of lesser quality than like the text adventures that you'd get in like the mid nineties, like before <laughs> yeah. before my time. Well, they're um, less entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But there are so many, especially for the Wax blockchain, there are so many first-time developers who don't, you know, the founders don't have dev experience, who haven't worked in games before, who, and maybe this is its own controversial opinion, who are literally just in it for the money. Like, they can, yeah. uh, you know, they create a game, uh, and obviously in the announcements of their discords and things, they're like, you know, we're creating the best game ever, you know, you come along on the journey with us and, and all this but at the end of the day, it's just, they just want to funnel as much money as possible. They may genuinely want to create a project that, you know, they, they don't want to rug. Um, they might want to make this blockchain game their long-term thing. They might want to work on it for three, five, ten years. But they're purely in it for the money. Uh, they don't care about the technology. They don't really care about the community or the space. They just see unregulated space, buckets of cash. Here's an opportunity. Um, and funnily enough, I think in in Anders' uh, response there, where he says the majority of NFT games suck and have no future, uh, someone replied saying that I don't think any of that's controversial, but it is true. Uh, and Anders replied with something that I think is a very good point: is that within the NFT space, it is a controversial opinion, but outside of the NFT space, it's common sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's right. Yeah. He's right. If you sat somebody down who is a uh, a gamer, you know, a game fan. And you showed him a lot of the clicker game games at the moment. They think, what the hell is this? <laughs> like this isn't yeah. this isn't fun. You click a button, you make money. Like, why would anybody play this if there was no money attached? Um and he's right. And, and yes, some of these games, in fairness, you know, blockchain balls is one of them, are bringing on talent, bringing in the right people, and actively developing um actual games. And, and, and in fairness to blockchain ball, as they've always said from the start, that that's their that's their long-term goal. They want to make a fun game. Mm. But there are a lot of quote-unquote games in the space. Um, some very large ones, uh, some that have made an awful lot of money and are incredibly popular, who don't have never stated that as a long-term intention. You literally, you, you go to a browser, you click a button, and every 15 minutes, you click that button again. And you create tokens, and you quote-unquote have fun <laughs> yeah. yeah i can think of many many other things i could do to have fun um than that but but there we go i i feel like i'm starting to rant so you should probably jump in <laughs> well no no i'm i'm all up for ranting i i i always think about this um is last year i was looking at covering a game i didn't actually cover it in the end so you won't be able to find out who this is but i was looking at covering a game and it, it looked like a genuine game. They were all first-time devs, um, though, again, I have no issue with that. It is an opportunity to get funding for building your own game, which has more or less not been possible before crypto. So I think it is a good opportunity. Sorry to jump in, but I think there's a distinction to make there between um, develop, like actual developers who are using the opportunity of Web3 to be able to fund the development of a genuine game that they've wanted to create for some time yeah. and people who are who who are just in it for the money absolutely who, you know just come up with some basic idea off the fly and think that's my ticket to you know lying on a beach somewhere in a year's time <laughs> yeah absolutely um and presumably a nice beach not like south end <laughs> uh, not a british beach no no um, oh no, there's some nice British. We'll go uh, oh, way off, way know, off, off pace here. <laughs> um, anyway, if you've always wanted to make a game, this is a good opportunity. If 
you look at the industry and like, wow, look how much money some of these people are making from just creating a simple game. And then you go and create a simple game. That's, yeah, they're the sort of people I don't want this space. But anyway, um, this is the former, I think. I think he's always wanted to make a game. I, I, don't, I don't know them personally, but uh, they're first-time devs, but they were interested in making a, a proper game, 3D world where you can, you know, do actual things and quests and stuff. And I played the pre-alpha or alpha. It, it was it was pre-release, but a lot of footage from it had been shared by the devs and was getting a lot of hype on social media. And I I played it and I was like, mm, it's it's above you know the standard we've seen elsewhere, but it's not good. It's not a good game. And I, I thought, no, I'm not I'm not going to cover it. I don't think it's it's worthy. I don't think I wouldn't want to read about it. So I'm not going to inflict that on other people. Um, and then my friend who, by the way, works full time in crypto and um, is an avid gamer from birth. And, I, you know, I've, I've known this guy for a very, very long time. And he happened to see uh, a tweet of some of the footage of the alpha build that I um, <laughs> that I played and immediately sent a message in our group chat that said, Rob, what the f- is this you'll have to bleep that sorry um and i was like yeah i know it doesn't look great but like i do think the team are you know they're trying to build something he's like mate i don't understand it, it just looks horrendous there's there's nothing if this doesn't have crypto you wouldn't go anywhere near it i was like yeah well yeah i can't really argue with that and and that is and he's so he's kind of straddling both like he's he's interested in blockchain gaming but doesn't think it's there it's ready yet Mm. um and he's very interested in crypto and he's a big gamer so he's kind of you know got his feet in both camps and showing him that game was the exact reaction that you said about like you know if you just showed a gamer some of these blockchain projects they'd be like I, what are you showing me I, I don't understand is this like a a school project or something it's just horrendous <laughs> um so yeah i think there's, there's definitely a lot of evidence for that and it's an unpopular opinion within perhaps most blockchain gaming areas i think i think we have to filter out blockchain gaming areas into two camps as play to earn and then blockchain gaming because the play to earn crowd would probably find most of that stuff uh, unpopular Whereas the people that want to see blockchain technology in games probably wouldn't see that as unpopular. And then everyone else in the world wouldn't see it as unpopular either. Well, I think at the moment, a lot of the people within the NFT slash crypto space are play-to-earn fans rather than game fans. There are a hmm. few people, and the Forge Arena is one good example here, where you've got a a genuine game where... I mean, let's be honest, they've effectively tried to create... Um, CSGO with skins you can trade. You know, the, the team behind the project has a lot of experience with um, with competitive shooters. Uh, and so, you know, that's the game they've set out to create. And by all accounts, they're, they're doing a good job of it so far. Um, there is this, this kind of anger, especially from people within the games community uh, at the moment that think NFTs are no good for gaming and that mm. AAA studios should stay away from incorporating NFTs into their game and that they're just doing it for the money. I think on that specific point, they're not entirely wrong. It just depends on the company. I mean, there was m- major backlash when uh, Ubisoft put their... What do they call them? Digits? Also, it was effectively NFTs in the latest Tom Clancy game and basically yeah. no- nobody bought them, nobody used them, and it was tacked on to a game nobody liked anyway. So you can kind of tell how that went. But I think I think over time there will be more of a traditional gaming audience that 
does come across and explore the uh, the Web3 space. But there needs to be quality games in Web3 to bring them over. But outside of uh, card games, you've got you know, Skyweaver and Gods Unchained, and perhaps games like uh, Blancos, um, and, and maybe you can kind of put in uh, sort of Decentraland as well, maybe. Um, there isn't really anything to appeal to a traditional gamer at the moment. No. And we need that as an industry. We re- desperately need that. And um, we do have um, big companies. Like I said, I believe Ubisoft is at least um, funding or partly supporting uh, Skyweaver as a project, which is cool to see. And, you know, we've talked about on Animoca brands in the past and uh, <laughs> yeah. the amount of money they're flinging around to try and um, to try and really develop something fantastic in the space. But I, I think Web3 as an entry needs that that flagship game, that one game that we can all point to and say that is what Web3 gaming can be. And yeah. we, we don't have that at the moment. I, I think... I think there's two routes. There's one of two routes to get it, to get it in front of mainstream gamers. Because I, I think telling people what it, what blockchain technology can do in gaming isn't enough. Um, I think the the gaming audience in general is very it's very diverse, but it's generally a pretty smart group. And um, I think we're try- uh, too many people trying to ram it down people's throats and mm. not really doing a good job of explaining why it's it's useful but i don't think explaining is enough i think we need to show how it's useful and i think it's one of two ways either like you said a major blockchain game becomes successful you know it's like front page of twitch every day people are playing it constantly and it happens to have nfts in it or the second option and i think this might actually be more powerful is uh, a small gaming ecosystem or a big one uh, utilizes blockchain technology in multiple of its games. So let's just take Blizzard, for example. Imagine that um, Hearthstone and World of Warcraft or, uh, I don't know, Overwatch and um, Call of Duty, maybe that's probably the, the better example. Imagine you unlocked a gun that could be used in both of those because it's in your NFT wallet and you can move it between games. I think that sort of showing what it could do i don't even know if that'd be enough because they could do that without blockchain technology um perhaps it'd have to be two disparate ecosystems but Mm. either way i think we need to show why it's valuable and show that that to to my eyes there's just no downside for the gamer because you're leaving the game that you spent money on and time in with something rather than nothing and perhaps those nfts never have any application anywhere else which I actually think it's kind of unlikely because I, I I think people will resurrect even old NFTs and put them in games. And I think there'll be a lot of ways to uh, retrofit um, NFTs, old NFTs into, into new games. And I think you will see value there, but we do need to show uh, what it can do. And at the moment, the, the backlash is wild. Yeah. I think there's a third route to adoption here, and it's one that Skyweaver's done particularly well, and it is to basically obfuscate the fact that you have NFTs in your game. Um, If you look at Skyweaver's marketing, if you look at their website, at no point do they talk about earning, and at no point do they talk about NFTs. But it is an NFT game that you can earn in. 
they just don't they don't shout about it they don't really promote that fact for them it's much more about ownership it's hey each of these cards you use these rare cards these silver and golds you know you you own them and you can trade them and you can sell them but they they never talk and, and, and you know there's limited editions and there's uh, rare ones you can get and you know ones you can only get in a limited time but they don't shove down your throat the idea that they're NFTs and, you know, they're on the blockchain. Yeah. And by all intents and purposes, they're, you know, that is a game that would work in Web 2. It's a very fun digital TCG. It doesn't have to have NFTs in it, but it does. And I think that's the kind of game that can, can really... I mean, that I believe they're still in, uh, in open beta. They're a game that can... Um, that could really take off in a competitive sense, and and has uh, and that has all the sort of the prerequisites and the quality that it needs to to appeal to a gaming audience. But again, it's a card game; it's quite niche. Um, I think if we find you know an FPS or something with like a Fortnite level of appeal that has NFTs in it, but doesn't spend you know all of its marketing efforts towards shoving that down your throat, mm. I think that has a much better chance at striking a chord with a traditional gaming audience yeah i think i agree um to the point where it will no longer be an unpopular opinion if we keep (laughs) talking about it (laughs) so uh let's hit another unpopular opinion i'm going to give you two options i have two i have two sort of mini rants uh that i think would be relatively unpopular uh one is on art and one is on language so uh, you can choose. What, what would okay. you like me to hit first? Uh, I'm intrigued by language. Language. So I, I've talked about this before and I've talked about it a lot. And I'm thinking of writing an article, um, perhaps for you actually, because it makes more sense for you, um, on language in uh, crypto. I've often referred to it as cult-like. Um, mm. And I started researching this f- for said article a couple of weeks ago and I found some really interesting things and I think even saying that uh, crypto is full of cult-like language is probably an unpopular opinion to most people in crypto mm-hmm. um, but now I feel like I can support it better so uh, there's a woman called Amanda Montel who's written a book called uh, Cultish the language of fanaticism and it's basically on how language is used by cults and I haven't read the whole book yet but I've read a fair bit and a lot of excerpts for um, various points. And she's done a few interviews and stuff. And there's so much crossover um, that I was trying to get at, but didn't have the information to really unpack. Mm -hmm. So uh, firstly, one point she brings up is about Scientology. And she says, Scientology has this sort of obsession with language and they use a lot of initialisms and acronyms. Uh, And it's not to save time, it's for a very good reason. And the reason is that it sort of brings people into a fold of being a part of something bigger than themselves. Like Mm. you have your own sort of language. Like it's like when you're at school and you and your mates have this slang that no one else has. (laughs) It's um, she calls it something like uh, the taxonomy of cultish linguistic tendencies or or something like that. And basically it's, it's a really posh way of saying that people redefine existing words and then make up words and then make up initialisms and acronyms um, to bring people into like a, a group. So it, it gives you a sense of identity. And 
we so essentially Scientology does it all the time and I, I was going to look up some of the ones they use but I, I forgot to write them, write them down but if you look up Scientology um, initialisms and acronyms they, they have tons that are like really really obscure ones that you'd never guess just from the letters or even the context like really odd ones and and that kind of brings people into the, the fold of feeling like you're you know part of this group that has a special way of understanding and anyone that doesn't understand what you're talking about isn't part of your group and your identity and um montel says language can do so much to this is direct quote language can do so much to squash independent thinking obscure truths and encourage confirmation bias and emotionally charge experiences such that no other way of life seems possible i think this applies unbelievably well to a lot of crypto particularly twitter crypto yeah um i mean who else uses initialisms constantly? WGMI, GM, FUD, F- Fudster, mm-hmm. uh, DYOR, HODL, uh, BTD, BTFD. Um, and then you've got the phrases as well, like um, to the moon, uh, Lambo or when Lambo. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's like a lot of it's so obscure. Like WGMI, I didn't know what that meant for ages until I bothered <laughs> to look it up. This, this, and if you don't know what it means, um, it's uh, we're going to make it, which it's just like uh, a positive indication when perhaps you've been in a dip. And then obviously BTD is by the dip, and BTFD is by the dip. I won't yep. let you use the bleep button again. Um, <laughs> and like fudster as if anyone could understand what a fudster is but that's basically someone who brings about fear uncertainty and doubt um to topics around crypto and then hodl um mean uh, people say it means hold on for dear life but recently i learned that it was originally um said in 2013 by someone on the one of the first bitcoin forums who was trying to sort of rant about how you should hold on to your bitcoin and it was just a typo mm-hmm. and people started retyping it like hodl rather than hold onto your crypto and then it become hold on for dear life. Anyway, the point is that crypto has built up this sort of language to, that almost insulates it from outside and people that are looking in can't always understand it. And that's really typical of um, cults and, and cult language is so important to a cult being successful and it does feel like if you're if you're on twitter in the little crypto sectors there's there's times where you just think i i think the line that really resonated with me and i think i already read it um is where she says uh i can't find it but she she says something along the lines of it feels as if there's no other life possible and it's all like confirmation bias like you Mm you can't imagine that this thing won't happen or this thing isn't right. And I think crypto is bad for that. So yeah, uh, yeah I think uh, crypto has a lot of cult language and cult behavior as well. Uh, and that is my unpopular opinion. No, absolutely. I think um, I think I do agree with you there. Um, you'll often see a lot of the more, uh, let's call them unscrupulous projects in the space, will make a point of using a lot of this language more often. Whereas mm. the games that are more transparent and, um, you know, more willing to be open with their communities will, um, I don't say speak properly, but let's say speak in plain terms. And one of those terms in particular, I have a particular bone to pick with, and it's FUD. Fear, uncertainty and doubt. It gets thrown yeah. around so much whenever anybody has any critique about any project that it it's beggar's belief. Um, some people will bring up completely legitimate concerns about a project that 
um, honestly, the, the people behind those projects should answer or should at least alleviate any fears that people have. Yeah. But if you bring these up in a public forum anywhere in the NFT space, it's almost immediately replied to you with, oh, it's just FUD. Like, you know, it's just FUD, 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 FUD. And it's just, it, I, I believe the term FUD blocks legitimate debate from taking space in the NFT space. Yeah, it's like calling someone a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you even had semblance of a point, it's shrouded now because people think you're a nutter. I think it's even worse in the NFT space because in a lot of these um, examples, you have block explorers that you can look at and you can see the evidence of yeah. malpractice happening. And you can bring this evidence up and present it to people and people still say, oh, it's FUD. Like, it's FUD. Why would you say this? It's FUD. It, it's just... And this is where I think the the whole cultish language um, really comes into play because this this kind of this feeling of belonging, especially if you're a fan of one particular project or one particular blockchain game, this whole you're part of a community. And um, a lot of the times, these unscrupulous projects will uh, refer to their communities by a particular term, um, mm. which which emphasises this point. But especially when you have this group of people that they all share the same terms, they all share the same acronyms that share the same memes in a lot of cases for particular games uh, and a lot of them will hold the same opinions about the community when somebody from the outside comes in with um, an opinion or even proof um, that something unscrupulous is going on they're seen as an outsider or somebody that is uh, is purely i'm going to use the term against itself here but just fudding <laughs> um because they're not a part of this sort of close-knit, tight, you know, uh, we're all going to make it uh, kind of feeling within this group. And I think it's, from an from an individual perspective, and I've tweeted about this a few times, you, you really need to have, when it comes to looking at blockchain games, you need to look at them with your own set of eyes. You know, is what the developers are doing making sense? Are they being transparent? Are they being communicative? Are they trying to obfuscate anything? Are they answering things um, clearly? Are they shying away from particular topics? I mean, this is these are this is an approach that I think will help to combat FUD, but it's only on a personal basis. Um, I, I, I just uh, the whole cult language and this obsession over FUD in the NFT space is. I think a, a proper detriment to it, and especially when this is some of the first things that uh, an outsider to the Web three space will see. You know, if if somebody who has a passing interest in crypto or NFTs decides to do a little bit of research into the space, especially if you do it on Twitter, some of the first things you're going to see if you go on any Twitter space is one a boatload of um, like bot replies saying, hey, this brand new dog coin is the one that's going to go to the moon. And two, you're going to get dismissive opinions on posts and then a bunch of people just saying, oh, it's FUD, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's such a toxic environment. I don't think it has to be, but as we've explained on the podcast before, because of the monetary aspect and the personal financial implications that the blockchain industry has, then I think it, it riles people up and serves as an entry point for this uh, this cult-like language, this toxic environment um, to enter. And the space could do without it. But, but as we said before, that's um, it's going to be a very difficult thing to, to even slow down, let alone remove. Um, I, I don't think removing cult-like language from, from entities is something that I think really is going to happen 
at least in the in projects in the current sphere you know the clickers and the the meme coins i mean it's a it's a breeding ground for cult-like language and and just a, a very hostile um environment particularly for out as i said for outsiders looking in and i think it serves to directly turn people off from uh from blockchain entirely yeah i, I mean i agree and um what the the woman that wrote the book um madam montel said is that uh, she thinks that everybody's been involved in a or experienced a cult at some point. Mm. So, you know, I think it's too easy to imagine like the Jonestown Massacre when you think of cult rather than um, the sort of less pernicious cults where you're just kind of indoctrinated in, into one, one way of thinking. But funnily enough, before you used the word toxic, I had a revelation while you were talking. You, you, were, you were talking about um, like we're going to make it and all that sort of stuff. And I realized that this is probably, crypto is probably my first experience of toxic positivity. Mm. Um, I don't think I'd experienced it before that. And that is, that is, I mean, the definition where you just dismiss all negativity as um, people just being haters and, and so on. Yeah. And uh, that, that's exactly what, what crypto does. But, you know, I do want to end this point on that. Uh, the community in a lot of crypto spaces is one of the best parts of it. Yes. Yeah. But there, there's sadly, you know, some there's a lot of worse parts but it's the same it's the same with anything but i do think that uh the cult language has become people have become numb to it and they just they just use it without even thinking um but i'm annoyed now because i (laughs) i I want to present i want us to have an argument on on uh, stream i want us to record an argument i want to say an unpopular opinion that annoys you <laughs> so it's just so we, we we have an interesting discussion and if my last one doesn't get you i i don't know what will but uh it is your turn have you got any more to throw at me um that's a good question i think my final unpopular opinion um it's quite simply that i think there's a lot of very entitled artists in the space and I'm sure a lot of artists are probably going to be quite mad at me for saying that. Um, but I do think, I'm talking about pure artists here that have started creating NFTs. Um, I get this I get this quite often, you know, that um, obviously I work for Atomic Hub and sometimes we get critiqued for saying, you know, we don't focus on on artists um, as much. Or, or sometimes for my content, people say, you know, I, I focus on games too much rather than art. I do try to balance it out. But I put a tweet out um, a couple of weeks ago, which I think encapsulates my entire feelings on this topic. And it would, and I can quote here. Uh, this is from March the 24th. Um, I said, I have done, am doing now, and will always help to promote the work of pure art NFT creators, but that doesn't mean I can direct collectors your way. Play to earn undoubtedly rules the roost at the moment, and you have to do something special as an artist to stand alongside them. I think that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of artists that, whilst they're doing fantastic work, um, and there's a there's a plethora of amazing artists out there. Um, as blockchain gaming starts to rise, they're seeing a lot of the attention that used to be uh, on them be directed elsewhere, and um, honestly, to more to more interactive and more engaging experiences. And some people are or some artists that I've seen are, are lashing out at that in particular ways that I don't think are... I mean, ultimately, as an artist, you're, you've got to... To compete against blockchain games, you've got to do something special. You've really got to stand out. And just creating nice art isn't good enough anymore. 
and t- if I'm brutally honest, if you go back to the to the famous artists of of uh, yesteryear, and even to some of the biggest artists of today, art today, you know, in galleries and, and modern artists creating pieces, the art is much more about the message and much more about the thoughts behind the piece and what the pieces mean than the quality of the art themselves. And sh- should that be the way art is, that's not for me to say. But that's what people buy in, that's what people invest in, and that's what people like to support. And pure artistic talent used to be enough in the NFT space, and it isn't anymore. Especially when there's more enticing um, options out there for collectors. And um, as that ship is starting to sail, I think artists are having to do, or going to have to do a lot more. So... There we go. I think I, I going back to, to the main part, I think some artists can kind of they've had the glory days of pure art and NFTs and can feel sort of quite entitled that that should continue for them. Um, but the ship's sailing and I think times are changing and I think artists that don't move with the times are going to start lagging behind, let's say. I mean, disappointingly, I, I agree almost entirely with every word you said. Uh, so there's not going to be an argument there. <laughs> Funnily enough, you, there is a little bit of overlap with my uh, controversial opinion that I'm going to voice next. Um, so I'm actually going to split my point in, in two because I think um, with NFTR, so firstly, I, I fully agree uh, that they they need to do a lot to grab the attention back to them from play to earn. Um, but also they need to remember, and this is this plays perfectly into what you're saying about them being entitled. They need to remember that Becoming a popular artist is one of the hardest things to do, regardless of, of blockchain. Take take crypto out of it. Absolutely. To become a popular artist is tremendously difficult. Mm-hmm. The the term starving artist is no joke. That is that is based in truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I wrote down as a sort of unpopular opinion is that, and I think we're already on our way, is that NFT art will return to being art as we approached it before NFTs. Yeah. So NFTs will default to the utility side of NFTs, but that too will apply to artists. So to the technology will be a way for artists to sell digital art with ownership, which is what it was intended for. Mm-hmm. Um, not just like a way of getting more attention for your art because it's an NFT and yep. to create an NFT art collection as the sole goal. Yeah you know instead of creating art and then you want to sell it digitally so you make it an nft people are making nft art collections because they know that's got the buzz around it Mm -hmm. and i think we're already starting to return to to that yeah i think pure artists were kind of rather i am going to say this it's going to be unpopular but i think we're rather spoiled by sort of the early days of nfts and the fact that pure art you know is this brand new medium and and an art could stand on its own and get the value that many artists felt it deserved. Um, but yeah. as, as you made the point there with um, with PFP projects, it's art with utility that rules the roost now. So if, if you are, you can create amazing art, but if it is just art and does absolutely nothing, I don't really think you're going to find an audience. Um, there are some exceptions, you know, you've got people like Beeple, which, you know, th- for him, there's a story behind it. You know, he created one piece a day for, what was it, 10 years? You know, yeah, that's a backstory in and of itself. You know, that is 10 years of work that you are buying into if you bought his 5,000 days piece. You know, there's a there's a huge backlog of, there's a backstory to that piece. 
it might look mm. very bizarre to look at because it is just an, an amalgamation of 5,000 pieces of art. But that is a story in and of itself. It's a reason why that piece of art is so prominent. Um, and, you know, I bought a one-of-one one from from CryptoFlash um, a couple of weeks ago. I bought it on auction. And alongside that being a, a very nice piece of NFT art, you know, it's an animated piece of traditional tattoo flash that also gets me one of each of the NFTs he creates for the next year. So there we go. There's some value there for me for that. And I think artists are going to have to start getting very creative with with the utility. It doesn't have to be, you know, oh, there's a token and you can earn from it. But but there's other ways you can incentivize, uh, incentivize collectors to be interested um, in your collection. And um, I don't want to really want to talk about Gary V twice in one episode but he's talked about this in the in the past where he's uh he said that you know you could you could buy a ticket for an event and that entitles you to you know um entry into various things across the year and maybe like a 15 minute chat with him and and all these you can add so many different things into um, what's commonly termed just just utility it's so encompassing and there's so much that can be added into it that artists can tap into that there's opportunity there um but I think uh, pure artists will need to start tapping into that sooner rather than later. Yeah, um, we've. Uh, uh, so I'm going to have to be really careful here because this might still be embargoed. I'm not sure. Um, but there's a musician who's working with NFTs now and they are releasing NFT sort of album covers and uh, promotional art. But when you buy them, you buy into a sort of members club and you get airdropped stuff and you get priority whitelisting to concerts and and things like that so there's obviously a lot of utility um but one one little final rant on that point that i wanted to throw in was uh, a lot of people were like oh look the money that people's 5000 day project sold for is just ridiculous sorry he spent 10 years (laughs) creating art every single day how dare you create something in a week and expect to make millions the amount of work he's put in that is unconscionable and he never thought he'd make any money off it no he was he was doing it because he loved doing it so uh yeah you entitled sods um <laughs> go do something special go put some work into it um and then you might you know reap the rewards okay i'm fired up for my last point <laughs> which um i'm worried you're just going to agree with <laughs> because <laughs> we'll I, see. I, I really want one where you're like oh no that is unpopular i don't like it um I'm going to make you get the bleep button out as well. Uh, you, you're going Go to for hit it. that again. <laughs> um, almost all generative art collections are sh- um, And perhaps one or two were interesting at first, but now they are just lazy. They're not art. They're algorithms. So I think they're cr- You're going to have to press the bleep button twice, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, think mo- I think almost all of them aren't good and they're not art. Some of them the hand-drawn components and perhaps it's a little bit more interesting but there's too much absolute rubbish that is just leaning on the fact that generative art collections were for some reason popular just because of the you know the rarity components uh, i think almost all of them are rubbish and uh, i don't like i think i think it's lazy i think it's a lazy way of making art i think you're gonna get your reward here because i do actually disagree with you yeah um I, i'm going to caveat that by saying I, I do agree that there are some generative projects that just are terrible. Um, there are course, some that yeah. are kind of blatant clash grabs or just just not just not very good. 
It's not very good examples of art or don't have good utility or whatever the case is. But there are two pretty prominent NFT collections that, that are, well, let's say there's three that I can think of off the top of my head. CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, Squiggles. They are all generative art. And I don't believe they're any less valuable just because they're generative. No, okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me... Uh... So I, firstly, I, I try not to ever speak in absolutes. So I was very careful to say that almost all, oh, mm, okay. um, because I, I think CryptoPunks particularly is an excellent example of doing something new. So I think the novelty of it is impressive. And I also think that um, Bored Apes is another interesting example. I'm not that familiar with Squiggles, uh, but I feel like they were at the forefront doing something new and now people are using generative art as just a way of quickly making large bodies of work hmm i don't i don't i kind of don't want to make you agree with me i, I would no like to I, I, I think there are i think there's two different types of generative art here the ones where people create let's say six different faces and 10 different hairstyles and like 20 different yeah. shirts and combine them I, as a rule, despise that because I think it's been overdone to death and I don't yep. think there's really any more space in NFTs for any of those types of projects to come to the forefront. Yeah, The ones where it's generative NFTs have been done in a more interesting way, let's say, you know, they are generated by some, by some, like, an actual AI like they've given an AI some instructions and it's just spurted out some lines and some squiggles or the uh, the autoglyphs project, which is created by the same people that CryptoPunks was. Uh, basically, each piece of art, uh, they're all generative um, pieces, but each one's been generated directly using code running on Ethereum. So they're basically born of the chain itself. Like there's no... Right. There's no really, there's no real human input there. It is reading code and translating that into black pixels on a white canvas. Um, things like that, I think, are cool, and I think there's definitely some interesting stuff you can do there. As I've said, there's a lot of bad generative projects out there, but I do think there there is still room for generative NFTs to expand into into new areas into into new ways of doing things into um you know new ways of generating the art itself or something that i i would love to see but i don't think that's quite been done yet is sort of community uh, generative art projects that have a community drive to them so let's say you there's 20 artists that each contribute one thing to a to a generative project or they somehow incorporate art from the community or I, I have no idea how this would work <laughs> um but but there's still interesting things that i think could be done with generative nfts and we've seen um quite a good example on wax actually uh gpk the official garbage pail kids fan site did a ten thousand piece generative garbage pail kid drop uh, a couple of months ago um i think atomica wrote the smart contracts for that uh, that's basically uh, it was you know 10 heads 15 hairstyles whatever but there was um there was a maximum of i think it was 86,000 combinations roughly it was it, it was quite a large number um, but only 10,000 could be minted and when you clicked the button to to purchase one you got a completely random um a completely random assortment of you know different attributes plugged in 
Um, which I thought was kind of... You're doing something cool there. There's more substance to it. Um, yeah. And we're... PFPs haven't really ever been a thing on wax. I have heard rumours and are aware of some things currently being made which are going to try and push PFPs on wax. How successful I think that's going to be, I don't know. Um, but speaking of PFPs on wax, uh, and sorry, I'm kind of going off topic from the whole generative art uh, thing here, but a lot of generative art projects are PFPs. There are some PFP collections that are fully hand-drawn art. You know, 100 pieces, each piece has been hand-drawn or, you know, an a, a thousand-piece collection where each each one has been paid, painstakingly hand-drawn. I think it, it, those kinds of things can do really well, even though on the surface they can look exactly the same as generative projects. I think there's a lot more value in them because it hasn't just been generated by a piece of code um, that just bashes, you know, different, you know, a hat and a, a shirt together. It's an artist physically saying, okay, this is piece one. Okay, this is piece two. This is piece three. This is piece four. Um, but no, I, I I do think generative projects as they are today have had their heyday. But there is room to grow. I'm kind of yeah. middling in between <laughs> agreeing and disagreeing. But well, no, I I mean I I so I don't want to soften my point too much because I like that we were disagreeing. But but I think we probably <laughs> do agree under under it because. I liked the first few generative art collections because they were doing something interesting and new. And when people do something interesting and new with generative art, then, you know, you've got my attention again. Um, I, but I think too many people are using it to be lazy because they don't want to put the time in and create vast uh, bodies of work. And to prove that I'm not a complete monster, that <laughs> the GPK um, collection you mentioned, the generative one, that, that they also allowed you to burn yours and get another one like once a sale finished if it didn't sell out which it didn't um you could burn yours and take another one so there are even fewer um available in total uh, i bought one of those um gpk ones so i i'm not against generative art as a whole but i i do think it's now just lazy i think too yeah. many people are using it in a lazy way they're not trying to be innovative with it they just know it's like a cheat code to yep. getting a body of work that you would otherwise have to spend a long time on. I mean, go on Fiverr and type in generative <laughs> art or NFT art. Mate, it's ridiculous. It's And it's not low quality art either. It's decent stuff, mm. but it's just that easy to, to do sort of algorithmically generated art where you just do individual components. So if someone's doing something new with it, I'm interested, but generally I think people are just lazy and leaning on that as an easy way to try and build a big body of work they couldn't be bothered to do. I think the problem has been exacerbated by the fact that there's now so many tools available to people on whatever blockchain to just create yeah. a generative art project in like a day. Yeah. Where that, that, wasn't, that wasn't possible back when CryptoPunks first came to the fore or when Board Ape Yacht Club became super popular. You know, it... You couldn't just create a project out of thin air in a day. I mean, how many Bored Ape Yacht Club clones are there? I can think of at least five or six off the top of my head. And if you go through yeah, a crypto tons. Twitter, at, like PFP projects, there's so many like super obvious um, ape clones. It boggles my mind that people even consider buying them or supporting them. Or oh, To be fair, more recently, I think people have kind of conned on that, okay, there's a few too many of these, we should probably stop trying to buy one. But they, at least initially, they appealed because Bored Apes took off, they made a, a ton of money, 
And there were loads of people that couldn't get one. And this was before Mutant Ape Yacht Club kind of lowered the barrier of entry to getting into it. There are a lot of people like, yeah. oh, you know, I want a cool monkey with funky hair. <laughs> so, you know, th- this unofficial project creating things that look similar. Cool. Okay, cool. I'll get one. Um, I'd love to know if this is part of the reason why Bored Ape did this. Um, but, of course, several months after Bored Ape kind of rose to problems, they created Mutant Apes which are kind of their, you know, their lower cost of entry um, option. Uh, and then, of course, they did, like, Ape Pets. I can't remember the actual name of that collection. Um, but, but, yeah, it's as soon as anything takes off in the NFT space, and this is true in the real world as well, actually, as soon as anything new takes off, you'll get a 1,000 imitators. Um, it's just become so much easier in the, in the NFT space, especially when you've got all of these tools that just allow you to... Uh, to imitate a collection in a very short space of time. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say now, in like privately, and a, a lot of these images I haven't published to the internet, um, you know, NFT Insider has its Timmy character. Um, I have files on my hard drive of like what Timmy would look like if he was a punk or what Timmy would look like if he's a, he's a bored ape. You know, I'm never going to mint those or, you know, bring them into the public domain or make them into NFTs because I think that's, that's sacrilege when you've got, you know, actual projects. But... But even for me personally, just messing around in Photoshop, creating some fun things, you know, that's appealed to me. <laughs> so I can yeah. definitely see why people would would want to own a, a piece of that, at least on face value, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen, um, do you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I don't actually know. Oh, no. Well, maybe someone <laughs> listening does. But basically, Danny DeVito's character, Frank, goes into an art gallery and pretends to be an art expert. Uh, even though he's not, obviously. And he creates this character called Ongo Glblogian. Ongo, <laughs> no, I think I said that wrong, even though it's a ridiculous name. <laughs> Ongo Glblogian, something like that. Mm. And basically he walks around this art gallery and goes, uh, derivative, derivative. And that's how I feel when I go on these NFT sites. And there's just a million different monkeys and apes and gibbons. And like <laughs> I just feel like wandering around going, derivative. Because it is just all like boring clones. And that's why I don't... I, I, I'm, I've worked in the arts for years. I like good art, but I think that so much of uh, NFT art is just stale now. Oh, and. Yeah. I definitely don't like any of the derivative stuff where they just they're copying a, a theme that's been successful. I just think that's lazy and uh, it will never go anywhere. I think the NFT industry did create a new outlet for for this question I'm about to to levy to you. But do you think originality is dead? Uh, in what in general? In general, but I, of course I'm kind of kind of phrasing it in the whole NFT conversation we're having. But do you think originality is dead as a as a concept in today's day and age god that, we're nearly at the end of the podcast and you throw <laughs> that at me that's a massive question uh i think no but i understand what it's it's heading okay. towards because with the access to the amount of information we have now it's very difficult to make something that's completely original and i think it's probably impossible so if that's what it's you know pointing towards then then maybe i think this is something that we're going to properly disagree on because i i th- Whereas it, it probably is controversial to say, but I do think originality is dead. I think even even if you think you're doing something original, someone somewhere is going to say, oh, but it takes from this thing from 50 years ago, or, oh, there's aspects of this, or... Okay, well, I have a counterpoint to that straight away. Okay. If, if you created something and genuinely had no knowledge of something similar that existed, how could you be called unoriginal? 
you haven't been unoriginal. The work might be unoriginal, but you aren't unoriginal in what you're doing. So I guess we need to disseminate between original artists and original work. I feel like we're probably going to have to define originality as well, but that sounds like a whole I other think podcast. We, we're going to have to do a, a different... It's, it's going to be a Mint One podcast after dark where we, we pull apart the philosophy behind originality. Yeah, I, I think that's... Um, there is so much generative space. I think there, there is room for innovation in uh, in the NFT space and in the blockchain industry in general, with it being such a new space. Um, that's why I kind of caveated my question by saying, you know, I think blockchain has created a whole new, a whole new space for originality to exist in. Um, and we are so new and I hate saying that we're, we're early because I think that goes into the whole cult language point we made earlier. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, But it, it is a, it's a young space and there's a lot of room to grow. And when Lambo. Did you see, actually, bringing back to uh, to blockchain brawlers, right back to the start of the pod, there is a popular um, stats website for, for blockchain brawlers called waxclaim.io. You know, it's got a stats page, it's got an earning calculator, you can see the amount of brawl token in circulation, etc. They, mm. <laughs> once the, the new patch went live announcing the 99.9% uh, burning of, of brawl token, they updated the site in, in the stats page um, to, to when Lambo, so, so there's a there's an option now, and it's at the bottom of the screen. It will calculate for you how many brawls or how many days it will take with the brawlers you have and the rings and all the things to to buy an entry level Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's perfectly encapsulates what what cult language I think in the NFT industry has become. The fact <laughs> even on a stats website, you know, thinking, oh, how many how many brawls will I have to do to a... Uh... Surely they're doing that ironically. They, they oh, must I mean, be. Who knows? I hope so. I, I think I... Didn't I say to you before um, about when um, I was in a Telegram group? I think I brought this up before, but I was in a Telegram group and um, one of the coins I'm invested in, it, it's for them. It's like their sort of community group. And the coin started going through the roof in about 2020, mm. and it went up like a it went up a ton in a very short amount of time. And there was like five or six people in this community, genuinely, unironically, sharing the specs of the Porsche they were building on the Porsche <laughs> website. Like, and they were sending it back and forth, like, "Oh, I went for tan leather," right? you know. Like, and it's just so embarrassing to watch. I don't know if I'm just jaded. Also, I've seen I've seen some Vice documentaries recently where there's there's this guy just kind of sat in a half a million pound Ferrari and he just goes up to say, oh, how'd you get all this money? It was like, oh, you know, I, I went into Bored Apes and this, the whole Crypto Bros thing, it, it's memed on and it's part of the whole crypto um, vernacular, but it, in in small circles does exist. <laughs> you know, there, yeah, there, there are really There cringy. are legitimately some cringy groups. I don't really necessarily want to say it's really cringy. I mean, it can be in some aspects, but... Hey, you know, if you've made $25 million off NFTs and you want to go and buy a Ferrari, did, who am I to tell you you can't? Um, but- oh, no, I mean, that's that's where my money's going. <laughs> I, I would I would be buying cars. If I'd made $25 million, I'd be buying cars as my first port of call. I wouldn't move house. I'd be I'd be buying cars until I'd fill up my driveway and then I'd buy a new house. I, I will say I think this calculator for BCB is a bit off because it's telling me I can afford a Lambo in just less than a year. Um, I, I don't think that's... <laughs> That's got to be a long way off. Keep look, brawling. Look at my current brawl token and gold NFT amounts. I think I'm a long, long way off that. Don't you miss one of those hourly button presses? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I, I have been slacking on it a bit this week. Um, 
So um, can't get yourself a Lambo that like that, can you? <laughs> I tell you what. Before just before we uh, we start shuffling towards the exit, um, I had a, an unpopular shower thought, which you've just reminded me of. <laughs> okay. um, which I don't think anyone can disagree with, but it's it's not something that I imagine crypto really wants to talk about. Um, so I actually thought of this in the shower as well. So it's a genuine shower thought. Uh, there's almost definitely some very, very dodgy people who are worth ungodly amounts of money off of Bitcoin due to Silk Road. Oh, yes. Um, in 2020, police in the US seized $1 billion worth of Bitcoin related to Silk Road. So imagine how much there was in total that they couldn't get at and the one that's outside of the US. Like, this is, we're, they're only talking inside the US. And, and Silk Road shut down in, like, 2013. So Bitcoin was worth, like, very, very, very little at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the, the key ways of buying things on Silk Road. So think how many multi, multi, multi-millionaires there are from selling drugs on the dark web. Oh, yeah. oh God. It's horrendous. Not, not just Silk Road, but for, for all that blockchain talks about being transparent and everyone knows who everyone is there are a sizable amount of people that have made an absolute killing on bitcoin on eth on various cryptos in the early days that are not public you know that people know their wallets but they don't know who they are you know yeah. satoshi nakamoto is the most famous example like what yeah we don't even know if that's a person or a group no, and so many people in the early days of crypto, and I suppose in the early days of NFTs as well. Um, I think those days are, are ebbing away as KYC and KYB become more prominent. Yeah. But there's there's a sizable number of people in the industry who are have made an absolute killing um, off some legitimate, you know, trading and getting into coins early, and um, but also through things like Silk Road that. Um, you know so, as much as as much was seized when the sites went down and as much as you know governments keep seizing uh you know coins that were related to silk road i don't think there's still got to be so much out there i mean you 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 won't find out until maybe the statute of limitations is lifted in the us but i'd be interested to see what the most obscure way someone's a multimillionaire from from bitcoin because i bet people have sold some really weird stuff on like like foot pictures or something on silk road <laughs> or some website for bitcoin and made i mean you've got the, the pizza guy that obviously oh, um got the, the most famous of all that got paid in bitcoin for just a normal pizza and i can't remember how many bitcoin he got but i will I mean, say i i remember being told about that when I was in school, like in about 10 years ago, like nine, eight, nine, ten years ago, it was already a thing, you know. Oh, Should you listen know, closer. You know, th- this guy, you know, bought a pizza with X many Bitcoins and oh, it would have been worth a couple of thousand. Jesus Christ, like today, it's, that's, oh man, I can't even begin to imagine. And there's, us two being Brits, I imagine you've heard this story. There's this guy who had a lot of Bitcoins on a hard drive yeah, um, this is on the BBC every week for about two years. Yeah, it's in some <laughs> landfill somewhere, and apparently it's it's several hundred million worth of Bitcoin. And yeah, like, oh my word! He offered a massive fee if anyone finds it, and there was like huge groups of people at the landfill that it would logically be at. But it's it. I don't even think it was a hard drive. I think it was a USB pen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Um, so I mean, it, it just is never going to find it, and he, he's got. I felt so sorry for him because he's just got such a like a normal life as well. Yeah. Like not, he's not remotely wealthy, and he has had at some point a future net worth of like two hundred eighty million or something. <laughs> he could put himself on the Forbes list, but it's in landfill. 
Oh, man. Well, ho- one day that'll be... I think one day that'll be found. Um, the, the data know. The data might be unrecoverable on the USB. That would yeah. be the worst. They find it and then they plug it in. <laughs> the USB 6 bust. <laughs> or they plug it in and they find that someone's already drained it. Oh, my words. So, yeah, that's that'd be a great documentary. Oh, man. I think that, that's right for a documentary. So some, like, very... I'm sure Netflix would be all over that kind of, you know. Well, yeah, like the ETH hack there. Um, there's lots being made about that. Mm. Yeah. Oh man. Um, but yeah, that that was um, episode 22 on unpopular opinions. Um, I think this was quite a juicy topic. It might be something we revisit again in future. And I think as as mm. as blockchain continues to develop, then uh, I think there's there's sure to be some some more unpopular opinions that spring to mind. Uh, in the uh, days, weeks, months, and years to come. So, uh, yeah, definitely share if you if you listen to this and you thought of uh, one that you wish we'd mentioned, please uh, drop it in our respective discords and or tweet it at us, and we will uh, mull it over. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Rob, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Token Gamer News, uh, where we share all our latest articles and the occasional musings. Uh, then tokengamer.io, which is where you'll find all the articles, drops, competitions. We've currently got a competition uh, for the Forge Arena. We're giving away 10 skins and the upcoming tournament uh, for the Forge Arena, we are a major sponsor of. And uh, it's got a very nice prize pool. I think the uh, top three share sort of $5,000 or something. So it, for a very small, you know, pretty niche esports tournament um, on a game that almost no one knows about yet, uh, you can make a, a fairly good amount of money so if you you know if you're good at fps's perhaps give that a look um can you find me anywhere else uh, i don't think you can obviously we've got our app on apple and uh, android it's just the token gamer app which allows you to track your wax account read news on blockchain gaming and see gaming drops and we're adding push notifications as well so that you can you don't miss out on uh those sort of blitz drops that happen that only last for an hour and stuff uh is that everything i think that's everything um, you always have more than I do, so go on, John. <laughs> I'll try and make it as quick as I can. Um, so for the latest NFT news, it's uh, nftinsider.io. Uh, we've been talking about all sorts of things lately. Uh, games, art projects. Um, we're on the verge of um, starting to, to talk more about projects on other chains. So that should be uh, should be quite uh, quite an interesting um, quite an interesting bridge for us to cross, you know, going from from Wax to becoming more chain agnostic. Um, but it should be fun. Uh, on, on socials, you can find us at nftinsider underscore io. Um, we started doing giveaways on uh, on Twitter again, so uh, you can always check back and see if we've got anything uh, anything juicy for you to win. Uh, for me personally, it is uh, at hydropowered, H-Y-D-R-O-P-W-R-D, on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. No, I've not made a TikTok yet. I, I will do. I would. I need to. I need to make okay. that one of my goals for uh, my goals for the month of May is to to make a TikTok. Um, it's been on my to do list for a while, but sadly uh, left unchecked. But we'll get there. Um, I stream on Twitch uh, typically twice a week, Wednesdays and Thursdays at nineteen. Uh, sorry, eighteen UTC. Uh, playing the latest blockchain games, talking about all things crypto, NFTs, all that good stuff. Um, I haven't streamed, I think, for the last week, two weeks. A mixture of illness and being very busy, but um, I am looking to get back on the uh, get back onto the trailer car, so whatever that horse, 
that's the mode of transport <laughs> we'll go for. Get back onto the horse yeah. um, next week. So, uh, so you've got that to look forward to. And I think that is everything from me. Okay. Well, we hope you are annoyed by some of these opinions. And <laughs> please let us know if you are. And we look forward to... What do we look forward to? Seeing them next week? Nope. Hearing them next week? Nope. <laughs> Entertaining them next week? Maybe. That's presumptuous. Um, <laughs> please come back is, is the rough message. John, you, you know how I am at outros. Ah, oh, okay. Thank you very much for, for tuning in. And we hope to tune in again next week. Thank <laughs> you.